supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long, shifting from day into dusk into darkness. Lights on, because in Sydney, we ignite the night. We are go to light up our Sydney sky. You don't want to miss this. Panasonic Air Conditioning Sydney Super Night, 19 to 21 July. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars unforgettable. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them, AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, welcome along. Great to have you with us. This is the V8 Sleuth Podcast, polished by Bowden's own premium car care. Available, Will Dale, at... At Repco. In Australia and New Zealand and other auto stores. Nicely done there. Thought I'd integrate you into the opener for this week's pod. How are you going? I'm good. Uh, uh, Bowden's own products can also be found in my garage. Oh, so. what have you been using of late? Um, uh, their window cleaner. I can't. Oh, re- nice. I, I'm bad at remembering names, so they're, I know they have a lot of clever ones, but yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, yeah. They're, they're window cleaner and their car wash products generally. And you haven't been paid to say this; you've just used the good stuff. Correct. Oh, Mister Black. I've oh, you talked about this last I've got time. A black yeah, car, and so in the sun, the rubbers fade a little bit around the windows and all that sort mm. of stuff, and the trims and stuff. Oh, Mister Black is the good stuff. Anyway, let's get into the pod question and answer. I feel like it's a while since we've done. One of these has pre Bathurst was the yeah, last okay, one. Yeah, okay, that's a while. Yeah, There's yeah. been a bit going since pre Bathurst. <laughs> just a bit, just a bit. Uh, yeah, we've had uh, what a couple of Steve Owens. We've had a bit of James Courtney. We've had a little bit of everything. Beardo, Beardo wasn't that good. Yeah. Uh, race by control? the way, race controls back after the Velo Adelaide 500. So that will drop the Monday after the final round of the Repco Supercars Championship. Enough of that. Let's ask some cues and. Can I do the first cue? Go right ahead. You, you give us the first A. Sure. Uh, Sean Scott asks, big fan of the pod. Nicely done, Sean. You're in and you're first. Do you think we'll ever see a Stephen and Jet Johnson wildcard at Bathurst? Look, it it would be a wonderful thing to see. I think the window's closing pretty quickly for that to be possible. I mean, we, we know Steve still does a fair bit of race. Obviously, Jet's out there racing. Steve does still do a bit of – do a fair bit of TCM, TCM racing. Yep. Um, but the step from that into being a co-driver in a supercar is big and getting bigger with every passing year. I can't see it happening. Yeah. Uh, but I could see a Stephen and Jet Johnson six-hour entry or something yeah. like that. I reckon yeah. that would be pro- probably a more realistic and possible scenario. But uh, you never know. never know. That's true. If you would have told us that Greg Murphy would come back and drive a supercar in the Bathurst 1000, or Russell Ingle for that matter. Yeah, true. Um I would have been shocked. So, like you said, never rule anything out. Peter Alexander. Hi, fellas. Having seen a more recent video of a restoration slash fix that was done on the last of Tony Longhurst's B&H Sierras over in the the UK, how many Sierras were used by the team between 1988 and 90 and how many still exist to this day? Bit of sleuthing. A bit of sleuthing. My memory says there's five. Mm. So there's the first car. Which, was the, which is the Bathurst winning right-hand drive B&H 25 that was the Freeport car mm. to begin 1988 with. 
Then they got some – oh, no, so they built a left-hand drive car that was at Bathurst in 88 but in the garage. Yep, it wasn't, wasn't used. used. I think it's in one of the Bathurst – not the Great Race book but the, the Barry Naismith Bathurst book. Mm. There's a photo of it sitting in the garage like pristine, yeah. ready to go and wasn't required. I feel like that became Tony's car, like his race car in the years after. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's a little bit hazy, I think, on some of the B&H cars. The, the Bathurst winning car is really clear, by the way. It's at the National Motor Racing Museum. Has been since, I think it was donated at the end of the cigarette era, 94. Yeah. Um, WDHO Wills, uh, because that car had spent time with Colin Bond uh, by Ken Matthews, mm. who owned it for a time. So Hence why it has a red Ford badge instead of the usual blue. E- exactly, exactly. So then they got their hands on those Wolf Racing cars. Remember that Robbie Francovic ran one of those, the, the black cars. So, yes. Um, which was what, in what year, why, where, how, people who are Sierra nerds will will know far better than I. And then that last one that Peter mentions, the car that was over in the UK, which sadly was quite badly damaged in an accident, that was the last B&H Sierra that they wheeled out quite late in 1990. I think it was the last AMS car around prior to Bathurst for Tony Longhurst to drive us the 25 cars. So, yeah, I think, and in terms of them being around, there's the museum car in the museum. That one's clear and easy to see. Mm Mm-hmm. The last one's the one that's been in the UK. Is it still over there? I think. I think it's memory? come. I think it was recently sold to a new owner in New Zealand, right? And okay. has moved on. Um, but that's easier to spot because it's the only one of them that has a yellow interior. Yeah, right. And the Bathurst winning car's got the white interior, yes. and it's right-hand drive. Yes. Um, and of those other cars, they're around in various places, and yeah, they're around. One yes. of them ended up in New Zealand for one of those Wellington 500s and was left there in the aftermath. Mm. So, but no, good news is they're, they're all around. None of those have disappeared or gone forever. Uh, Peter Gardner. Now, Peter said he's got the opportunity or had it to photograph the Victorian V8 series earlier in the year. Now, with some beautiful old cars running around, and I like how he's done this, and with my 105 sponsorship of the Castro Motorsport News podcast. Good podcast, done, that. Peter. Well played. Very good podcast. Yeah. Have you heard it before? Uh, a couple of times. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Yes. It, got, it got Peter thinking, what would be, and this is a really interesting question, the most valuable car, and I presume let's talk financial value here, mm. still racing in Australia, actively competing? He said, I reckon it's a subjective question, but I think that's part of the fun. Now, I think let's just limit this to regularly raced cars, not a car that raced once five years ago and hasn't been raced for five years prior to that. And we're looking at touring cars. Let's like just touring cars. cars. I think that's not probably... the Shaheen collection of F1, XF1 and open yeah, wheel machinery. Then we'd be here all day. But I could mount a very serious argument here for Mike Roddy's Jaguar XJS, the 1985 Bathurst winning Johnny Goss Armin Hahn car that it's been in recent times, we did a story about it on the website, up for sale. It's mm. been to Goodwood this year for Armin and John to drive. It stayed over there and is being offered for sale. I'd have to reckon, given the appeal on the European and English collector car market and the fact it's a Spa winning car as well, the 24-hour, plus it's Bathurst history, and Mike Roddy raced that really regularly in oh, historics, yeah. like not just once in a blue moon, regularly and really drove it hard, like oh, actually yeah. got stuck into it. I reckon that would have to be my pick. I can't think of anything that would top it. Well, it's fair play to Mike Roddy because the entire time that he's been the custodian of that car, as he said, he's had it out racing. And you think of how many Bathurst winners have been racing, out racing after their period 
history. There's not, not too many. Still, no. certainly not too many that are out and about now. I know the 91 winning Nissan GTR occasionally got out and about. It's been a while since that happened, though. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, that Kerry was very sporadic. raced it in historics after it was restored. Mm. But um, it's been a long time since that one's been out and about. So, I mean, the Mark Gibbs GIO car, the Tony Alford car, the GTR. I mean, a GTR is an expensive race car. It's yes. valuable. There's not that many of them and they're... You know, they cost a lot back then and they cost a lot now. But it's probably cheaper to get bits than for an XJS yeah, Jet V12. But I still reckon the Jag has a wider international appeal, marketplace, dollar price. GDR would command a very good oh, yeah. number, but it's not a Bathurst winner. Uh, the Jag's a TWR, JRA entry, but it was, you know, Tom Walkinshaw racing car. There's only so many of them around. I don't reckon they'd pop up for sale very often. So no. the GDR is pretty cool, but I think the Jag's got it covered. And then you look forward into the supercars era, and once you get to into V, VS, VT, VX, Commodore territory, there's not really anywhere for them to be considered actively racing. No, no. Well, if I owned them too, I wouldn't be racing them either. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> I'd be parking up yeah. big time, big time. Uh, next question from Trent Urza. He's looking for the history of Shane Van Gisbergen's first race-winning Falcon and where is it now? So Shane Van Gisbergen's first championship race win was at Hamilton in New Zealand on mm. the street sort of industrial road course there. Um, so that is not the car that he started in when they built FGs. So they remember that Alex Davison was there, Shane was there, and Jason Bright was running his wreck out yes. of – Stones in that green and black Fujitsu car. So Brody started the year in the BF, the older car, because they only had two new FGs. They built a third one, which is the car that Trent's talking about. So that became Shane's, I think it was Townsville, 09. Yeah, I think that's right. Head. Yep. Um, and he ran that right through to the end of his period with Stone Brothers. Every year, uh, split liveries with Alex Davison at Bathurst, um, Gold Coast co- co-driving with Johnny McIntyre, Emanuele Pirro, um, Luke Yulden in Luke 2012. Yulden, and I think they had Paul at Sandown from my memory. Yep. This is the same car that had the incident in Sydney in Shane's last supercars round. Uh, you didn't see or you could hear the inverted You could hear comments. the air quotes, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with a medical car yes. collision. <laughs> a pound of error. <laughs> oh, Very expensive collision. Yeah, not, not, not so cool, not so cool. Um, that car, oh, that's the car that's got the bonnet that everyone signed that's hanging up at Matt Stone Racing yes. in the workshop. Yeah. I'd always wondered what had happened to that bonnet because I'd heard a few different stories on where it ended up, but I'm glad to see that it's still like in pristine condition and given pride yep. of place in that workshop. Yep, it's on the wall at MSR on the Gold Coast. Um, this car has, since 2013, so it's 10 years, been with Terry Wahoon, Image Racing, uh, in both the... What was it called? The Dunlop Series. Yes, it was called. Probably yeah. it's Dunlop Series never again f- now, isn't it? Development series, but it was never officially known as that at any point. No, 2013. So I'm putting my television brain back in. Definitely Dunlop, Dunlop series. series. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't it? Was wasn't it? It had been Fujitsu Series prior to that. Mm. Then it was Dunlop. Then it became Dunlop Super Two Series, and now with Super Two and Super Three, we just That's officially call Dunlop it Dunlop series. series. Yeah. So this car was Taz Douglas's car. Remember, he drove that Silver Falcon. Yeah, for Terry yeah. Wahoon with the Arvo beer sponsorship. That was this car. That's right. That's um, what that sponsor was. Yeah. Uh, a few guys along the way had one. Jack LeBrock had a bit of a run in it. I think that was his first run in yeah, the development series. Yeah. Um, Grant Denyer had a run. Jonathan Webb, Jesse Dixon, 
it was a bit of a one-off car for people along the way to um, to sort of do. I mean, Steve Owen ran it as a one-off yeah. somewhere along the line, and then it ended up in the Kumo series. Um, Jordan Boyce actually ran that car for a, a little while. It's still with Terry. He's still got it. Um, I've got a feeling, though, that there might be a chance to have an update to the story on that car, shall we say, well, well, at some well. point soon. So uh, you'd have to read v8sleuth.com.au in upcoming weeks <laughs> yes. and months to get to the bottom of what I mean. Is that cryptic enough? Uh, I think so. Cool. I think that does the job nicely. Well played. Uh, question here. Robbie Jones, former uh, development series driver, beyond the Dunlop series days. Robbie was doing it in the Conica days. That's where oh, we wow. go back with Robbie. When will Bob Jones sit down and record an episode of the podcast? Well, I feel like he's asking the wrong people here. I, I feel like we need to ask Bob this. Yeah. yeah. Um, love to do it. I'm up for it. Uh, we need to tee up a time. He's hard man to pin down, Bob Jones. He's oh, really? Busy. He's got stuff going on everywhere. He's on planes and trains and automobiles. He's around. He had a pretty um, cool birthday cake a little while ago from what from what I remember. Did. It was in the shape of his Ampol Max 3 it wasn't VP. Just in the shape. It? it was the Ampol Max yeah. 3 Commodore. Yeah. Fully liveried with icing and all. Complete with rear wing. Not sure what version rear wing. Yeah, whether was it was the good one or the bad one. Not sure, but I'm not sure it was the full black livery car, wasn't it? Yeah. Cuz I reckon to make a cake with that latter livery, the white part of the car, I reckon that'd be hard. Oh, it would require a certain level of skill with and food with icing. Yeah. And food yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, no, we're up for it. Bob Jones, absolutely ripper. Great bike. Bob actually came to our Neil Crompton uh, open night in Ballarat a few right. ago. Yeah, saw him there. In good form. Good fella. We will get him on. We'll get him on. Next question from Matt White. Any news? Hang on, what? Not you that Matt, Matt White. White. Which Not- one? Neither are the two that you're thinking right, of. Right, okay, fair play. Yeah. Right There's a, we've introduced a third Matt White to the game. Oh, jeez, we've got two already. That's probably yes. enough. Uh, any news of when some more V8 Ute programs are coming out of the vault and onto YouTube? Much love from the UK. And Thanks. this is how I know it's not either of the two Matt yeah, Whites well, that you're thinking of. Unless one not of the, the two Matt Whites I know are in the UK at the moment, which I know they're not. Yes. Uh, good question, Matt. Uh, we have a plethora. Is that the word? Plethora? Plethora. A truckload, a plethora truckload. A trailload. A trailload, because yeah. they are utes after all. True, true. Um, of V8 ute programming, old races, shows. Yes, uh, we'd love to stick some more on YouTube for everyone to enjoy. So we'll get to it. We will get to it, but we're up for it at some point soon. I think I have to ask the next question from Matthew Davis, because it is do. one that's asked of you. Okay. Uh, Matthew asks, what did Noons buy at the Diecast Model Expo? <laughs> uh, I bought a couple of things. It was mm-hmm. a fair chance that was going to happen. Um, I got one of the Harvey Norman Supergirls Falcon models, 118. Renee the, Gracie's the standard one? Yeah, yep. yeah, just the standard one um, because I did the PR for that car that oh, year, yes. in 2015. Uh, I also got a – and you, you've seen this, so you, you know – a one eighteenth scale Alan Moffat Federation Insurance Le Mans Porsche. Very good. Which I've got the small one, but when I saw the big one, I thought, oh, oh that's a good come, looking model. That's got to come home with me. Especially uh, in that colourful Apple computers yeah, livery too. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, and while I was at it, I also got the uh, – this is so the Diecast Model Expo, all the different model companies there. You went along on Sunday, checked yeah, it yeah. out. I was there on Saturday. And um, – all the different model companies have got you know their new releases and some of their samples and able to talk to to collectors and, and people at the at the expo. So they have these expo only edition model cars that you can mm. only get at the expo. 
By the way, there is a little bit of overrun on some of those cars, and we do have some of them available on our online store. So if you missed out and you want to grab one, um, get onto it ASAP. But the other thing that I bought was the 88 HSV Commodore fuel-injected Perkins Home Sandown 500 car. That is a good-looking model. They have that on display at the classic collectible stand. Yeah, so I've got to thank um, Kurt from Pitstop Model Cars in Melton. who um, So they do room trading at these die-cast model expos where people get hotel rooms and set them up as shops. So you walk wandering around, and this was out at the Melton Entertainment Centre, um, used to be called Tabcourt Park. By the way, mm-hmm. there was harness racing on that night. Oh, really? So when we'd finished doing the gala dinner on the Saturday night. Dinner and a show. The, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, we peeled back the curtain and watched a few races because that's what we could do. But a big thank you to Kurt who looked after me on um, the Moffat car and the Perkins car. really appreciate it. I was at Sandown in 88. So the minute I saw that model, I thought, I think I need that one. Yeah. yeah. It is a very good-looking good car. Good-looking car. Good-looking car. So, yes, came away with a couple of bits and pieces that were uh, added to the collection. Very good. Supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long, shifting from day into dusk into darkness. Lights on, because in Sydney, we ignite the night. We are go to light up our Sydney sky. You don't want to miss this. Panasonic Air Conditioning, Sydney Super Night, 19 to 21 July. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars, unforgettable. Dud Vickers, what can you tell us about the Larry Bar? The Larry Bar? There's a lot to tell. There is a lot to tell. I mean, the Larry Bar was banned initially. It was not going to be a thing. Yeah. So this goes back to 2000 when the Larry Bar turned up. The diagonal brace bar behind the windscreen. Uh, in V8 supercars, Larry Perkins and his team came up with it, put it in one of their cars first. Because there was a big old arms race at that point to try and make chassis stiffer and stiffer and stiffer mm. to try and maximise tyre grip. And they tried. They came up with that idea, tried it on their chassis flexing, twisting rig and found it made a massive improvement. And the funny thing is, though, it's a little bit of monkey see, monkey do. So pretty much everyone then... Went and got one. Yes. Added it into their cars. So you had teams with beautiful white roll cages and chassis work that just had this dirty, fat black bar <laughs> that then just <laughs> yes. ran behind the windscreen in the aftermath. And if you, you look at the vision from 2000 from Phillip Island through the subsequent rounds, you can see where and when everyone added their bar to, a to bunch, the car. Yeah, a bunch of them turned up at the Grand Prix a couple of weeks later with the, with them installed, which I thought was impressively fast Good effort. work. Yeah. Good effort. But initially it was met with... No, 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 you can't do that. That's against the roll cage specifications. Mm. Um, in the end, though, Larry <laughs> Larry knew the rule Larry pretty won. well on how it all played yeah. out. He, he kept it. Everyone else adopted it, and it became a regular part of those cars right through to the end of 2012 before Car of the Future came in, and that changed it because the screens were different and the cages were different. and Well, and they became polycarbonate screens. Yes. So that was the other factor. But famously, the Larry Bar... Saved Craig Lowndes at Bathurst in 2005. From a Larry wheel. Yeah, that was the great Ironically, irony, wasn't it? Yeah. A Paul Umbrell, Larry Perkins errant tie that bounced down the road and landed in the front. So well, what the good Larry gives with one hand, he takes yeah. away with the other. <laughs> and probably sends an invoice as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a great story, isn't it? That Larry yeah. bar's a, yeah, geez, when you think about it, Larry came up with stuff and his team, wasn't all Larry, but a lot of it Larry, whether it was the, you know, the endless breaks, 
I mean, things that made people change the rules or really heavily look at the rule book to see if you could do it. Mm. I mean, that doesn't happen really anymore. But No, he, rules are far too tight for that. He did that multiple times, multiple yeah. times. So, yeah, it's a cool thing, the Larry Bar. It's, I'm not sure. I mean, it, it was called the Larry Bar. It was called the Petty Bar for a while. I thought that was a different one. That was well, the one no, no, that no, HRT that was the thing in the Craig Lowndes car, yeah, yeah. The, the car from previously. So that was the comparative comparison at the time in 2000 when this bar came out. But very quickly people went, well, it's a Larry bar because yes. Larry had it first. Yeah. Um, and it, it really caused a stink at the start of that 2000. It got people hopping. But funny, it went from this absolute you know, oh, wow, yeah. to just being puffed. How can you even see? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. And it was like it was in every other car after that and no one spoke anything about it ever since. Well, that's the thing. People like going faster and winning. So yeah, <laughs> if help. you wanted to win, if you wanted to stiff a car, that was a great way to quickly do it. Yeah, and that's another um, another great elements that I love most about the Perkins Engineering book we did with Larry and Jack because – so many of those sorts of stories about how those things came to be and the technology mm. and the thinking behind them and the engineering behind them, um, that book is absolutely packed with them. And if you are looking for a Christmas present or if you want a good deal, we have a V8 Sleuth Superstore sale on, Will, at the moment through till the 16th of November. So up to 60% off a range of our stock, up to 20% off a bunch of stuff, posters and prints and some model cars. We don't have... Uh, discounts on brand new items or pre-order items but we've got heaps of stuff there including the perkins engineering car book we do have a couple of those left they're non-signed they're not numbered but they're the book so if you can't get one haven't got one this is your way to get one it's a good way to get one and it is a very good book and it was a lot of fun to put together mm. Stephen rosevere besides pit lane is there any reason why supercars couldn't run the mount panorama circuit in reverse in a hypothetical world, it would create a huge amount more interest for the opening round of 2024. Uh, Stephen, I don't think it's just the pit lane that's that's the issue. I think it's every single runoff area. Mm. Um, yeah, the Forest Elbow is probably the is the one that comes to mind of getting to the top <laughs> of Conrod. And yeah, yeah, yeah. No, which, it's- which I know they do run. Or previously used to run at reverse in hill climbs. I don't even know but if they, they do that anymore. But they started at the exit of Forest Elbow. So yeah, so you're not doing you're not too going fast when you get the there. At the apex, exactly. Yeah. So the tracks are licensed with the FIA in their runoff, the wall profiles, hmm. all of the elements and the direction. So if, if you look at it and you put – and we get this often asked, why don't you run a track in reverse? There's a million reasons why you can't, won't and wouldn't. Uh, not just because of the paperwork and the legalities of it all that you can't, but if you suddenly go along pit straight at Bathurst the opposite way to turn right at what was the last corner, you head on into a concrete wall. Yes. It's not built for that way. The runoff areas are not done that way. So um, I think Stephen is in a hypothetical world as per his question there. So <laughs> that's been where a fun it's going to land. Would have been a fun thing to see them try in the E-Series. Well, now that's somewhere it could have been done. I mean, if you can race in race at Oran Park, surely you can race on a reversed Mount if Panorama. If you can race on a track that no longer exists, therefore you can race on iRacing on a track that is still in existence the wrong way. Yes. I think that's a good idea. Uh, Stuart asked this one. Go right ahead. Stuart White, any chance that Malala could make it back onto the calendar? I presume he's talking supercars calendar. Stuart says it's an iconic South Australian circuit. It is an iconic South Australian circuit, but I think there's enough issues with trying to get 
a much more recent, newer South Australian circuit onto the supercars calendar consistently with the Bend, um, which is also owned by the Shahin family. Um, that I think Mal, uh, I don't, I don't see that ever going back onto the the Super Repco Supercars Championship calendar. You know where it should fit though. Mm-hmm. It should fit on the Speed Series calendar. Perfect Ooh, yes. track for TCR cars, Trans Am cars. Um, you know, there's a bunch of categories that compete on the Speed Series. That would be ideal. Imagine Absolutely. that. I mean, they've got lights there. You could run that they at night time. Yeah. Perfect. I mean, I know that for the Shahins, the Bend, Shell V Power Motorsport Park, as it's officially now known, is the flagship um, venue. But I tell you what. Malala for a speed series round, that'd be big. That would draw a crowd. I think you're right about that circuit also suiting the TCR cars. They'd be mm. like you think of what the Super Tour is like around there. That'd be a lot of fun to watch. Yep, I'm in. Let's make it happen. Absolutely. Oh, you, you know who'd be up for that? Is it Richard Crail? Correct. <laughs> the South Australian <laughs> yes. Central Sensation. Himself. Mayor of Lindor. Yeah, well. Race team owner. I, race team he, car owner. He is. A race team or race car or both. Oh, that's a question. Is he Crowley, the mayor of Lindock? Can you be the mayor of Lindock? I don't think you can be. I think it's more of a state of mind. It's a good state of mind. Yeah. I, I, hey, they've got good red there. Like they do have good red. Um, it's a good thing. Uh, Curtis Baird, he's going full sleuth here with this question. Always when a dangerous thing to do. <laughs> when you hear it, you'll hear why. What's been the fastest season when you add up all the race times together in the supercar era and how is it compared to this season? So initially I thought when I read this, oh, he wants to know the, the fastest that a season's been completed from when the first race was to the last race by the dates. But no, he's talking about adding up all the race times of what's the fastest season to get done. Mm. So I'm presuming it has to be sprint racing era where the Enduros weren't part of it. You would be absolutely correct. So fastest is 1996. Overall average speed of all the races across the calendar across the season, hundred and fifty point six kilometers per hour. And you think so? Were there any safety cars? Well, this is the point I was about to make. So, the first safety car introduced during a supercars race came in nineteen ninety seven. So this is the so last year zero. Pr- yeah, prior okay. to supercars uh, safety cars. Yep. Okay. So ninety six was the first year of three. Sprint races per round. Yep. Enduros weren't part of it. Yep. So would the second and, and third and fourth be from when it was still all sprint races? Uh, no, remarkably. No. Oh. So the next four on the list are from like basically current era. So oh. second is 2021, 148.8 Ks. Then 2020, 2018 and 2019 ranging from 147 to 146 Okay, which is surprising given you've got Bathurst every year as part of that. Mm. Safety cars, slowing races down. But, wow, that, that's it's a question I've never really stopped to ever ponder, but that's what happens with this podcast. People come up with questions that we haven't come up with. But that's the true. other thing is, so his other part of the question was, what's the longest season once all the race times were added up? So we've done that off average speed. Mm. But if you add it up, how long it took to do each race in a year, what's the longest season of racing? So it's probably not a big surprise when you hear which year it is, but it's from that mid-2010s era where there were just a lot of races, mm. 36, 38, however many, um, including Bathurst. And in this particular year, 
a longer than usual Bathurst because they had a half-time orange oh, break for an okay. hour. Okay, yep, I'm with you now. 2014. So yes, 2014, the longest season at 49 hours, 40 minutes, and 9.2398 seconds of racing, <laughs> which is over three hours longer than the next closest, which was 2013. And so that counts, obviously, the, what was it, about hour track breakup yes. course time of, of Bathurst. So, yeah, interesting. There you go, Curtis. That's a very interesting one. That's something I would have never stopped to ponder before. And if in case you're wondering how on the fastest speed season how this year ranks, it's currently P7. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We, we're not going to break any records this year, that's for sure. Not at this rate. No, no. Next question from Oliver Luca. Love the pod, guys. Always my go-to. My question is, whatever happened to Alex Rulo? Alex Rulo is still around. Alex Rulo is a rally guy now. He is, yeah, um, competing in the ARC on a regular basis. Yeah, he's done a bit of more tarmac rallying, which Peter's dad um, has done a fair bit of over time. Gee, yeah, it's it's funny. Alex was so around in supercars there for a couple of years, youngest ever driver in the main game full time yep. with Lucas Dumbrell. It was 2017? 17. 2017. Co-drove with Simone Di Silvestro for a year or two yep. um, in the Harvey Norman. 19. Yep, that's it. Um then that was it. Yeah. yeah. Did a bit of TCR as well from Did memory? a little bit of that inaugural year in yeah. 2019 in an Astra. Mm. Remember there was a German sourced Astra that I think was in the under the Kelly umbrella from memory off the top of my head. There were a lot of weird and wonderful cars in that early year of there TCR. Were. There, yeah, there really were, weren't there? The Subaru Imprezas, geez, they were junk boxes. Yeah, geez, Andre um, did a good job in one of those for a yes. while. He threw that thing around. But yeah, Alex, Alex Rullo, um, Oliver, still around, still rallying. I don't reckon he's done a circuit race for quite some time now. Yeah, I can't think of the last time he would have. Tell you what, he was 14 when I met him and he won that Kumo Series race and round at Winton. Oh, yeah. Back in, so what would that have been, 2015. And hadn't he already done a Winton 300 by that point? Wanneroo 300. Oh, sorry, Wanneroo yeah, 300? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I feel really old. Jeez. Oh, my God. Scary. Uh, Dan Anderson, what's the greatest winning margin in the current V8 Supercar Championship era? So... Let's leave it to the V8 era, so 1993 onwards. onwards. Yeah. So no surprise, it's the top three on this list are all endurance races. So Why is that no surprise? Enduros, well, they tend to be always regularly late safety cars that bunch them up a bit though. But more it? often than not in sprint races, like you don't have time to build up a big no, lead. No, 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 that's true. Although not impossible as I'll get to in a moment. Okay, do tell. So top of this list, the 2000 Queensland 500, Craig Lowndes, Mark Scaife ah, beat yes. Tander and Bargs. And I think that that came down that they just pitted from my hazy memory. They pitted at exactly the right time and the other guys behind chasing missed the, the pit stop opportunity to pit. And that gave them the margin and then they just drove around and Mar- carried yes. that home. A margin of 36.445 seconds <laughs> at the end. So that's a mauling, isn't it? It days? is, yeah. yeah. Uh, second and third on that list are Enduros as well. The 2005 Sandown 500 and the 2003 Sandown 500, both winning margins of over 30 seconds. So that's Scaife with his flappy splitter in 05. Yep. Unable to hold off Lowndes and then just couldn't stay with him at all. Yep. Oh, and then in 03, because Jason Richards, who was fighting for the lead, ends up off in the sand. Went from a really close finish to, to a really not, not close finish. Scaife winning over 
Who was second in 03 then? Oh, was that Ellery Yulden? Ellery Yulden was yeah. too. Yeah, that's right. The famous uh, Luke Yulden. You just finished second place. Who'd you finish? To the Marty Holden Racing <laughs> Team, the immortal words of uh, Ian Wally Walburn on the radio, which I think we did run in the Luke Yulden I think we did, yeah. podcast episode some time back. Yeah. Jeez, listen to me going off, <laughs> off in tangent. So, okay, so do any non-enduros get a look in here in the top five or six? So it's that P4 is a single driver race. And I was I had to go back and look this up and check race reports and check the vision because it seemed kind of implausible. Um, Marcus Ambrose, the last race of 2004 at Sydney Motorsport Park, he'd already locked up the title and then he went on to beat Mark Scaife by 26 seconds in a 39-lap race. Jeez. That had a safety car in it at one point. Jeez. Oh, my. <laughs> That's actually more impressive than the 36-second win in... 2000 at Queensland 500. It was genuinely shocking when I saw that number come up. And he thought, Yeah, I thought, yeah. no, nah, surely this is a typo. And no, no, surely it is not. He had the measure of everyone there. That's it. That's incredible. That's incredible. Good one. I like it. Good yeah. question. Well done, Dan. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years, from the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present, and the stars that steered and built them. AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au. Sean Barnes, without considering the rising costs of competition and the growing list of categories we have, I think the Australian motorsport landscape could benefit from a Legends race or series. The US has SRX and Europe has a similar concept with a race of champions. What are our thoughts on rounding up a few of the good old boys from ATCC and V8 supercars once a year for a charity race, even if it's in XLs? Think along the lines of the EJ Witten's Legends game, but for Aussie motorsport. (laughs) Well, I like how he says without considering the costs and comp of competition and the growing list of categories because they're probably the two things that blow this straight <laughs> yes. out of the water. And the, sadly, I don't think the EJ Witten Legends game's going. They've parked that the oh, last couple they? of years, unfortunately. I understand what Sean's saying here, but oh, who's paying for this? Like this is the thing. And you've got – I do like the concept of SRX in the States that, you know, identical cars, hmm. varied – you know, currentish drivers or retired legends, NASCAR, IndyCar, bit of this, bit of that, bit of everything. Um, I think Excels would be a good thing to uh, to do it in. But well, you look at half the Excel Enduros, a lot of the co-drivers are legendary mm. old touring car races. Like I think John Faulkner's done a few. He's done a few with his son Peter. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's the sort of thing that it would, if there was someone out there with the wherewithal to set up, you know, 15 identical cars, do a television deal. 15 identical cars with just the assumption that and, you're not getting and, them back. And five spares. <laughs> yeah. Um, Only five? It, yeah. Well, the other thing is too that the good old boys of Australian Touring Car Championship Racing and so on, they're now too old for this stuff too. We're looking at the 80s and 90s legends now. Because oh, yeah. The, the, the muscle car golden era is is sadly beyond us and beyond the, the capabilities of – and, you know, we've lost some of those guys over the mm. journey and you sort of in a blink of an eye they go from 50-odd to 70s and 80s, which, and I mean in terms of age, yes. not decades, yeah. but time goes on. But I do like the concept, but I reckon there'd be plenty of blokes with egos that wouldn't be able to be jumped over to do something like this. No, but wouldn't it be fun? It you, think of that, you think it that early be. 2000s era of supercars driver in identical identical excels, 
yeah. Scaife, Ingle, Ambrose, Lowndes. Well, Lowndes is still going. Um, tear-ups. Tear-ups. Oh, yeah. Tear-ups. Yeah, you just need going, more than five the, spares. The tear-ups would be just going about 120K slower than yeah. they used to. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, Jason Hall, he's not sure if this has been asked before, and I'm not sure either. I think it may have been, but let's go with it anyway. Which driver holds the record for the most race starts between wins and or the longest time between wins? And we're talking in the Australian Touring Car Championship slash Supercars Championship as it is now. So most starts, but well, to be fair, both metrics, it's Paul Morris. Yeah, so from winning Calder in 01 in the big Kev car mm-hmm. to winning Bathurst with Chas Mostert in 2014. Yes, 231, sta- right. it's 231 starts between those two. Races. Yes. Yep. And 13 years and 89 days passed wow. between them. <laughs> that's a drought. That's, it is. Yeah. That's one hell of a drought. Uh, who, who, who is P2 on this uh, illustrious list? So on most starts between wins, Michael Caruso is actually second. Uh, 221 starts between... His first win in Darwin 2009 and his second win in Darwin in 2016. I'm feeling a listicle website story come on here if indeed we haven't done either of these. Uh, yeah, it's probably a good call. Um, Rick Kelly's third, 209 starts between Sandown 2011 and Winton 2018. And then next is Lee Holdsworth who made 203 starts between that emotional win for Erebus at Winton in 2014 and his equally as emotional win at Bathurst in 2021 alongside Chas Mostert. But Bathurst in 2021, he hadn't been nudie Rudy chasing an intruder out of his home earlier in the week. That's true. That was Winton 2014. That's true, with a baseball bat. Yeah. With a baseball bat, yeah. yeah. Could have at least got a cricket bat and Australianised his house ah, protection. League. But it's the baseball bat that he got when they raced in Austin in 2013. Well, came in good for something. Did, yes. Came in very handy yeah. then. Uh, I don't think they took anything that day. He just chased them out uh, having just got out of the shower. Yeah. So for time between wins, though, I'm guessing there's some different people on that list. It is a very different list. Um, so second on this list is Colin Bond, who went 11 years, 259 days between winning in the number two Alan Moffat Ford Cobra XC at Adelaide oh, International yeah. in 70. Oh, no, that wouldn't have been a Cobra. That yeah. just would have been a standard XC because it's a championship race. The yeah. Enduros were not oh, part yeah, of the championship. Yeah, Enduros weren't part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that was the last round of the championship, 78. That's yes. the, when Brock won the championship. Yeah. Which, by the way, that's a nice little segue that next week's episode, just to get us all warmed up for the Velo Adelaide 500, of course, it's the title decider hmm. between Brody Kostecki doing it for Australia against Shane Van Gisbergen doing it for New Zealand. The title deciders, that's our theme. Yes. We, we kind of did an Adelaide 500 preview pod last year where we talked a lot about the, the history of the Adelaide event and so on. So we felt that we'd go title deciders for next week's episode. So plenty to talk about there. And, of course, 78, Bondi um, winning there. So he had to wait till the Sierra, didn't he? Lakeside 1990? Lakeside 1990. Wow, that's, that's a stint. That's and a stretch. <laughs> so, yeah, 11 years, 259 days between those wins. And I don't I haven't run the numbers, but it was something like 30 days until his next win because he won the next round of <laughs> yeah, Malala. Right. He did too. Yeah. The Toyo Tires. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, he's sponsored by Toyo, but I don't think he was on Toyos yeah, for that. Okay. I think yeah, he was Toyo on particularly stickers. tall Dunlops, but right, that's right. neither here nor there. Uh-huh. Third on the list is Jim Richards, who had eight years and 109 days between his last sprint race win at Malala in 94 and winning the 2002 Bathurst 1000 with Scafi. Well, I guess there's a bunch of years where he wasn't even competing, didn't even do a round of the championship because exactly, he only yeah. did the Enduros and they weren't part of the championship there yeah. for a while. But, yeah, yeah. Um, Lee Holdsworth, 
appears on this list is again in P4, seven years, 244 days between his Winton and Bathurst wins. Mm-hmm. And then Dean Canto and Tony Longhurst are the only other two drivers with streaks of over seven years. Okay, so it's a list you don't really want to be on. But if you get on it, it means that you did win a second race at least. Exactly. And based on this list, you're probably a Bathurst winner too. Yeah, pretty handy. Works out quite all right. Yeah. Works out quite all right. John Hall. Do you reckon John and Jason are connected? I hadn't thought about it. You never know. Mm. Oh, well, tell us if you are, guys. Is supercars better off for running fewer races less often? Uh, financially for the teams, maybe because they're spending less money in a sponsorship market that's tough, but I don't think it's good for the sport. I don't think less races and having more time off between races is good for the sport in terms of in terms of maintaining fan interest and even just knowing when the next race weekend is on without having to resort to a calendar. Like I know it is a tough ask when you compare compare our sport to NASCAR who are racing basically every weekend. Our economy is not really built to allow that, but surely we can find some a compromise that's better than what it is at the moment where it's a month or more between rounds. I can't see it changing for a while. Mm. This is a financial consideration. And I understand that a lot of fans get frustrated, but why why can't we have this? Why can't we have that? Someone has to pay for it. Yeah. So I don't think supercars is better off. I agree with you totally. The more that you race, the more that you're on telly, the more that you're in front of people. But it costs money to do that. And if they're going to do more, they can't do one more round. They need to do three. Yeah. Because that's when the money will trigger at a higher level from Fox. But then you've got to run three more events or find three promoters who are willing to pay you to turn up. So that kind of plays into where I see so much frustration from the fan base about the potential of overseas races. But the reality is the overseas, and look, I'm a bit on the fence with the old, I get the the passionate fans view, but if they're paying money that's helping, so let's just say you need three more rounds on the calendar to trigger that increased money from the television. Mm Because if I was Fox, one more round doesn't change my world. Yeah. I want three more and I want marquee. I want something that's unique, special, different. Then I'll pay. That's what it's about here. So an overseas race or two to help be among the three, to get to the three, to get a bigger calendar, to get more racing. Because quite frankly, most people watch most of the rounds on television. They don't go to the rounds. That's true. So what does it matter? As long as it's on in a good time zone and I can sit down and watch it, which I did for Abu Dhabi. I got up early to watch Austin, Texas. I didn't go. Um, China was able to watch that. What's that? 2005. Um, at the end of the day, it's not robbing a track in Australia of a round. Yeah. Because if they were going to be at Phillip Island and Queensland Raceway and Winton, they already would be. That's true. Mm. These are, unfortunately, the calendars we have to have to borrow <laughs> yeah. a famous political yes, phrase. Paul. Yes, Paul. Yes. Aaron Matten, third generation drivers at Bathurst. Is it only the Seatons? So in terms of the great race at Bathurst, Mm. yes, but there's sort of, well, the Perkinses are a great race three generations between Jack, Larry and Eddie. Yes. But Eddie ran at Phillip Island, not at Bathurst. Yes. But there is another family tie in the Perkins family, isn't there? Yes. So Eddie's brother-in-law was George Reynolds. Who won in 64. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're looking at three different generations of family across the tree, then at Bathurst, then the Perkins slash Reynolds family's ticket. 
Mm. And, of course, the Seatons did it through Barry, Glenn and Aaron who yes. started uh, last year. He co-drove in 2022, been Dunlop Super 2 Series again this year, which, by the way, actually very recently took his dad for a ride. Yeah. Took Glenn yeah, for a hot lap on a, a ride day at uh, Queensland Raceway recently. So that was kind of cool. I yeah. like that. I will say uh, one thing I've enjoyed from the V8 Sleuth podcasts this year is finding out how many second-generation races we didn't realise have taken part at Bathurst. Well, second generations might be stretching it in Tim Edwards' case in, from a driving standpoint. Oh, yeah. But yeah, yeah, his dad having taken part uh, in the great race at Phillip Island. Mm. Never knew that until he told me. Mm. And our recent um, our recent guest, Steve Owen, his dad racing at Gemini. I did know that one, mm. but I'd forgotten it. And he had – I linked that one together many moons ago. Mm. And um, because with Steve, he doesn't really tell you much. That's what I was going to say. As the podcast – Proved. If you ask him stuff, you get some really awesome answers. Oh yeah! Hope everyone enjoyed that app because I really enjoyed sitting yeah. down and, and doing that one with Steve. That was good fun. If you haven't listened to it, by the way, two parter with Steve Owen. Uh, it's really good. Tune in. It's kind of. It's almost if you're a young racing driver who's trying to get somewhere. Can I just put a little warning mark on that one? Probably don't repeat some of the stuff that Steve <laughs> did, or more importantly, didn't do. I Don't do he, as Stevie O does. Yeah, and even he said it as well, where, you know, you got to hustle, you got to chase, you got to put yourself out there. He's just not wide like that. What did he say at the end? Something along the lines of, well, if a guy who's not who's terrible at the commercial side of things can do 20 Bathurst 1000s, there's hope for you kids yet. <laughs> <laughs> it was very good. And I think he did 21. I think he undersold yeah. himself there. I think he got to 21 when he drove for Team Sydney a couple of years ago to have his last one up there. Uh, Tom Ransom, final question of the pod. Apart from Scotty McLaughlin's Mustang that came to that inevitable end at the Gold Coast in 2019, which have been the most successful Ford chassis in the championship? We always hear about Jamie Winkup's Kate, the Commodore, Shane Van Gisbergen's last ZB, and rightfully so, but we never hear much from the Ford side. It'd be interesting to know where the blue badge sits in regards to successful chassis. Well-crafted, constructed question there, Tom. Punctuation, very good. Liked it a lot. He's right. Everything is about Shane Van Gisbergen's Commodore Chastity that won 39 races, including two Bathursts, and Jamie Winkup's Kate, but there's a bunch of Fords that are not that far. They're next in the queue. Yes. So third in the list is Marcus Ambrose's dual title winner, SBR BAO2. That car took 25 championship race wins. That's the only Ford in the top five on this list. Oof. Yeah. Um, the next Ford, there's two in sixth and seventh. Um, the first one is that... 2019 Scott McLaughlin Mustang that took 18 wins up until its unfortunate demise on the Gold Coast. It's uh, Gold Coast Streets Parallel Park. Yes, yeah. Parallel to the concrete wall and the roof. Rapid delivery of a spring and damper to mm. the 33rd floor. Unrequ- unrequested delivery. Yes, yeah, you can't get so. that on Uber Eats. Uh, no. Um, seventh is his previous car, the 2017-2018 FGX Falcon, the one he won the title with in 2018. and The one did he the, recently caught up with in Phoenix. He did, yeah, the Penske Museum. Cool. Um, so those are the only three Fords that are in the top 10 among all a whole bunch of Holdens. Um, if you expand it to the top 20, it's slightly more even. There's eight Fords out of the top 20. Um, in a equal 11th is FPR 1217, which was Mark Winterbottom's 2015 title winner. That car took 14 wins over the course of its championship career. 
Uh, equal 14th, there are three Fords, a uh, pair of 888 Falcons um, and DJR TP07, so McLaughlin's 2020 championship winner. The car that he ran at the end of 19 after the yep. Gold Coast. The replacement car. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And in equal 17th is DJR EB5, the 94 Bathurst winner that won the 95 championship in John Bow's hands with a total of 12 wins across its career. Appropriately enough in equal 12, uh, equal, equal 17th, 17th yeah. 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 And 12, of course, being the Penske number that came with that team later on. So there's yes. all sorts of uh, motorsport numerology uh, in among all this. Hey, everyone, thank you for sending in the questions again. We get seriously truckloads of these when we put the call out on socials. We can't get to them all. We pick the ones that uh, we can fit in or the ones that we can answer most. We do get a lot of repeats. We do get ones that we've sort of answered before on previous pods uh, and sometimes we get ones that we simply can't answer or they're um, perhaps too hypothetical to be able to justify um, in terms of, of answers. But thanks for, for sending them in. Please send them in even when they're unprompted and we haven't put a social call out because we do stack them up and rack them up for future episodes to roll on out. We'll do another one of these before Christmas for sure because yeah. there's always something to talk about and ask. I hope with these pods that not only are they entertaining but they're informative too and if you haven't listened that you learn something that you might be able to take with you to a trivia night and win a meat tray somewhere along the way. Happy to help. That's what we're here to do. As, as long as we get a couple, couple of snags along couple the way. Of snag, look, a couple of hamburgers for me, a couple of sausages for Will. We'll be happy campers and we'll be happy to help. Hey, next week, V8 Sleuth Podcast will be Title Deciders. That is our topic. So I'm thinking we're going to talk Rick Kelly, Craig Lowndes, Philip Island, Bob Morris, Peter Brock, AIR 79. What else springs to mind for great title deciders? McLaughlin Wind Cup, Newcastle 2017. True. That, that one had everything. 87, Richard Seaton. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's a zinger. That, um, Oren Park, 71. Jeez, we're going back there. Well, it's a title decider. It was a good Coffin one, too. Jane. That's the one. Is that the one where the boat drove the road car into the track during the race? That is the one, Oh, yes. that's going to get a run. Yeah. That most certainly going to run. So there's plenty of stuff to go through in title deciders. Of course, the title in the Repco Supercars Championship. It's on the line. Velo Adelaide 500. I'm not on a paid plug here, but I'm just telling you so you know. We'll be in Adelaide for the final round of the championship at the end of November. Hope you'll be too if you can't be there. Tune in on the box and check out who wins the championship. Thanks again for tuning in to the V8 Sleuth Podcast, polished by Bowden's own premium car care, available at Repco Australia and New Zealand and other auto stores. We'll be back though next week with Tyler Deciders. Will and Steph will be with the Castro Motorsport News Podcast on Tuesday. Repco Supercars Weekly quite regularly at the end of the week to round out Thursdays or Fridays, depending on what's happening. You've got yourself covered when you listen to the Motorsport Podcast Network. Thanks for tuning in. We'll chat to you again next week. The things these streets have seen, like legends, half man, half machine, who head up north to go down in history. But here in the Ville, nothing comes for free, because here... There's no should. These streets reveal what's really under the hood. If these streets could talk, they wouldn't. They'd roar. They've seen the unforgettable, and they just want more. NTI Townsville 500. Book now at Ticketek. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them, AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.
www.com.au.